Ignatius Church, will you open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 9? If you are unfamiliar with the Bible, if you can find Psalms, that's right in the middle of your Bible. Ecclesiastes is right there after that, in the middle of that wisdom literature. And we're working through this Advent season. We're working to this time, just as Pastor Matt said, where we really, we, we ready ourselves to what God has done in Christ for us. So we prepare ourselves for the birth of Christ, for the celebration of Christ, Jesus, God in flesh, entering into human history. And so the reason we, I would say this, today, one of the reasons we would need to prepare ourselves is that this world gives us everything else to think about at Christmas time. It gives us longer traffic on the freeways, right? I live off the 405, it's a killer, right? It gives us lots of shopping and longer lines in the stores, and it gives us these family gatherings and church gatherings and work gatherings where we do gifts and exchanges. It gives us these family times that though they're amazing to be with family, it just packs us full of things in this season. And so each year we just push pause a little bit on Sunday mornings to remind ourselves why we celebrate Christmas, that we would remember that it's because of Christ that we have hope, that we have peace, that we have joy, that we have love. It's because Christ has entered into human history that God became flesh to reconcile us to him. It's because of that that we celebrate Christmas. And I don't, I don't know where everybody is today, but every year I, I kind of assume, if you will, that this Christmas isn't everybody's best Christmas that there are some of you that are going through hard seasons of life. That there's been a loss in the family or families breaking up or just seasons, job losses or whatever, whatever it might be. That there are some of us here that this isn't always the best time. And I told you, I think two weeks ago, that this, this time of year before I was a Christian was really tough, 25 years ago or so, this time of year used to be incredibly depressing for me, that I struggled coming from a broken home, that I struggled with the fact that I'd made a mess of my life, that I was in all kinds of trouble, that every year at this time of year, right here, this was my worst time of year. And maybe, maybe this, is, this is the season you wait for all year long, and like when you're done with July 4th, you're putting up Christmas decorations, right? Right? I know those people exist, all right? I know that they're out there. But for some of us, this is a tough time of year. I had to bury my best friend right before Christmas just a few years ago. And I remember that year was hard for me to remember the truths that I, I, I've given my life to, that have transformed my life, that I, I, I had a hard time placing all of that in the midst of a, a painful season. So some of you are there, and some of you are in great places. Maybe you're celebrating a new life in your family. Maybe you're celebrating victories over illness. Maybe you're celebrating that you're, you're you know, moving or doing something new. Maybe you've got something new going and you're excited. But I just, want, I just want to be aware, not everybody around us always is. And so this year, we want to talk about, in the, in the context of this season, we want to talk about joy. So for those of you that are note takers, joy. Following Jesus does not guarantee a life free from pain or struggle, nor does it mean living now, just waiting for eternity. Faith in Christ means finding our joy in him, no matter what life looks like. 
So finding joy in life, finding joy in Christ, no matter where we are in our lives, that there is a way, no matter what it is you're going through, that you can find joy in this season. And I would say this, if you are joyful about other things, if you're joyful about Christmas gifts, sometimes that can end up being really empty. And the true joy is found in Christ alone. Will you pray with me and we will get to scripture and we will let God speak or pray that God will speak. Jesus, as we gather, it's around you. It's because you entered into human history. Jesus, we gather this season, we slow down, we push pause, we reflect that you came into our lives, that you entered into human history, that you became flesh, that God became man. And you did that, that we might be reconciled to God. That we would be, our brokenness, our sinfulness, our, our pain, our, our just whatever it is, that that would be overcome in you. And again, Lord, I know in this room there are people that cannot wait for Christmas. People that are making this a month-long celebration. There are also those who are struggling. And there's everything in between. Lord, I pray this morning we would just set all that aside. That we would lay all that down, good or bad. That we would open up our hearts to you, Jesus. That you would speak. That I will fade somewhere into the background because my words do nothing. Jesus, your words give us life. And we need life. We need you. Will you speak to us today? Your church, your sons and daughters. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes 9, starting in verse 1, says this. And this is Solomon writing, by the way. And he says this, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God, whether it is love or hate, Man does not know, but both are before him. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, but both are before him. Solomon is kind of stepping back from life, if you will. Solomon's in his later years at this point. If if you don't have any context for Solomon, as Israel was at its highest point, a king named David was conquering land and building out Israel at its greatest point. And he hands off his kingdom In a short story, he hands off eventually to his son Solomon. And Solomon becomes king of the most profound nation on the planet a few thousand years ago. And Solomon, at this point, is older and he's made tons of mistakes. And one of his prayers, and many of you may may know this story, that he prays that God would give him wisdom. And God blesses him with incredible wisdom. Now, ironically, he does that earlier in his life. And Solomon makes epic mistakes, even though... He was given this wisdom from God. And Solomon walks through all the desires that humanity goes through, and he finds them to be empty and void. And so later in his life, as he is writing, reflecting on that, he writes things like Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. He writes these things looking backwards. In fact, to Proverbs, he writes this entire book of wisdom to his son. He tells his son, listen, I don't want you to make some of the mistakes I made. Let me give you what I've learned in life. And Solomon at this point is reflecting on his life, and he says this. He says, but all this I laid to heart, examining it all. He's looking at the life he has lived, and he is examining it front to back, from from his youngest ages until now, up until his present life. He's looking at his life and the lives around him. 
At this point in his life, he is the most powerful, probably the richest man on the planet when he is doing this. And so he is looking at power. He's looking at riches. He has been in tons of relationships with women, literally hundreds. And he is looking at power and money and sexuality and all these things, prestige and placement. And he's looking back at this. And as he had run each of these roads out, he has found them to be empty. And he writes things like, there's just nothing new under the sun. Like there's just nothing that man hasn't tried before, trying to find fulfillment and joy. And so Solomon says this, he's examining it all. He says, the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hands of God. Now the reason I want to pause and catch that one point is most of this chapter is written to followers of Jesus. or Old Testament context, those who were the people of faith, those who followed God. Those who were given, had given their lives to being those followers of God, what today we would call Christians or followers of Jesus, he's writing to those people of faith in this community. And he says this, whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. And what Solomon is saying is this, is, it says life sometimes gives us love and sometimes life gives us hate. We are either the recipients of these things or we are driven towards these emotions, these things. Sometimes days go well and sometimes seasons are just tough. He says, what's before us, only God knows. And so as we look at this season for us, as we look at what today looks like in our lives, what lies in the future, only God knows. For some of us, maybe love, maybe, maybe uh, good things. For others, maybe things that are hard are coming up. Maybe you're in those seasons now. For all of us, we will endure both kinds of seasons. Verse 2, it says this. It is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. He says all the, right, all the same things happen to people of faith and people who don't have faith. People who worship, that's the context of sacrifice there, and people who do not worship. People who are wise, people who are unwise, all the same things. In fact, what he says, he, who sac- uh, he says all as the good is, so is as the good one is, so is the sinner. He's saying at the end of this life, all of us will die. That all of us will struggle in life, all of us will have highs and lows, but at the end of this life, no matter who you are, you will also die. And that should not be this scary, ominous thing put before us, but a reality that we understand life is finite. There is a season when we are born, as Ecclesiastes says in an earlier chapter, and a season where we will die. There's a time for this and there's a time for that. There's a time for love, he says, and a time for hate. There's a time for war and there's a time for peace. There's a time for saving and there's a time for spending. There's a time for raising a family and there's a time for enjoying the old age and the life that you have lived. But what Solomon would say is every one of us have an inescapable appointment with death. All of us, no matter what, will face the one thing we cannot control together, and that's death. Verse 3, he says, this is an evil, meaning death, in all that is done under the sun. 
that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. Now note that it says the children of man. He's gone from the righteous, from followers of God. Now he's talking about people who are not followers of God. He says this, the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts. Well, they live. And after that, they go to the dead. So he begins to speak. Now he's talking about those who are followers of God and that's going to be pretty much the rest of what he writes about. But he said There's, there are those who are the righteous, those are the sons and daughters of God. And there are those that are the children of man, those who live their lives just as humans in the flesh in carnal ways. And so he's setting apart these two distinct people groups. And if we're just really honest with ourselves today, there's two groups of people. There are those who follow Jesus and those who do not, right? Now, maybe there's lots of versions of both sides, but you either follow Jesus or you don't. And that's what Psalm is writing. You're either God's or you're not. Right? You're, you're in one of these two things, but the same is true. We will all face death. In Ecclesiastes, also, Solomon writes this in Ecclesiastes 8. He says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. Solomon writes this, he says, I know sometimes it feels like wicked and evil people succeed. It seems like that they set their hands to things and maybe they make a lot of money or maybe they've got a big house or whatever it is. That, and, and it seems like their life continues to go on and you, and you don't see where God is in that. Solomon says this, they will do this, it will prolong their life and when they die, all they have is death. But he says, for those who are righteous, for those who follow God, for those who are Christ, he says, this is an evil. I'll go back in, verse, in chapter 9. This is an evil, death, that is done under the sun. The same event happens to all. All the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. So he's talking about this idea that they will live this life, this, this life that is filled with, and when we hear evil, I think we don't hear what the Bible is always talking about. We might think of people that are really bad. We know Manson just died uh, just a, a, what, less than a month ago, right? When I think of evil, I think of Manson. Maybe we look back in history and we think of different leaders like Hitler or whoever. And so when we think of evil, we think of it in an extreme form. But what he's saying is the children of man, people who just live to please humanity, just live to please the flesh, he is calling them evil. And their evil deeds they will keep doing because they haven't died yet. And so if they're evil in their business practices, they will continue to do evil as long as their life is, if you will. For those who lie and cheat and steal, they will continue to do evil until they die, unless something else happens. We have to ask ourselves, okay, so if this life, if, 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 all, if it will end in death, if this life will all end the same way, and if there's being a follower of God and not being a follower of God, then why, what might our purpose be here if it's not to live here problem-free? If we're not to live it, if we're not given this life to live, where because we become a follower of Jesus, now everything goes really well, and that's his point in verse three and in, and in chapter eight, that sometimes wicked people succeed. In fact, his father David, the psalmist, writes this. He says, "You know, the sun rises and sets on the just and the unjust alike. 
like the sun, same sun that shines on you and me shines on wicked, evil people as well. Like there's a thing that theologians just call common grace, like God's goodness just goes out to everyone in a way of just showing who God is, whether you're looking or not. That the sun rises and sets on the just and the unjust alike. And all of us inescapably have an appointment with death. And so if Jesus is not promising, as I know you sometimes hear this message in churches, like if you just say this prayer, if you're just baptized, or if you just start taking communion or come to faith or go to a church, join a church, give money, whatever it is they call you to do, then your life's going to be great. And then you come to faith, and life hammers you, and you're like, that's not what I was told this was going to be like. Or you start reading the Gospels, and Jesus is like, they hated me, they're going to hate you too. You're like, wait a minute, that's not what I signed up for. And you look at life and you're like, okay, I'm going to endure hardship too. I'm going to go through tough seasons in life. And I too will die. That could be of old age, fall asleep and, uh, fall asleep and, and just die in my sleep, or that could be a tragic event. We don't know. And so backing out of this, when we look at these lives side by side, those who follow God and those who are evil, and we look at them, and, and really the sun rises and sets on the both of them, then we've got to ask ourselves, then why, why when we come to faith, doesn't just Jesus take us with him? And the Bible over and over again would say that's because these, these folks over here have nothing but death awaiting them unless you are willing to love them to see them in their need, to overlook their brokenness, their shame, their guilt, their unjust practices, their wickedness, whoever they are. And again, wickedness doesn't have to be on that historical epic level. It might just be on the boss who mistreats you. It might just be the next door neighbor who's just obnoxious to live next door to. My neighbors aren't here, so if it's me, I apologize, right? But whatever that looks like, that we would understand that our place here is worth going through the highs and lows of life, following Jesus, knowing we'll die, knowing that when we die, we will be confronted by the living God, that we will stand there in Christ, but we will look back at this life and some just have death and an eternity separated from God. And so we begin to see this life and ask, where does our purpose lie in this? Verse 4, he says, but he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. I like his poetic approach. A living dog is better than a dead lion. He says, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. He says, he or she in this context, you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus today, if you've set aside your life to let God lead your life and not just yourself, if you are one who calls Christ Lord and Savior, it says you are joined with all the living. In fact, Jesus in John 11 would say, even though you die, you're going to live. That you have been joined with all the living. And better a living dog than a dead lion. Here's what he's saying, better to have less and be alive than to gain everything and be dead. He says, if we can get a hold of that, if we can understand that, that 
If I, it is better to be in Christ, that it is better to be alive and live a just life and live a life that brings honor and glory to God, to live a life that is given over to Jesus, it is better to do that even if we are smaller or lesser than it is to be a lion who dies, to be someone maybe great in this life who has nothing else left, to be a lion among businessmen and women, to be a lion in your neighborhood, to be a lion in your school if you're a student. He says that will die. And so we begin to see ourselves positioned next to those who do not know Jesus and find a purpose in that. Pastor Matt said that earlier. He said, listen, there are folks that, that are, are wanting to come to church on Christmas Eve, even though their lives are not given to Jesus, that they don't go to church on other Sundays, maybe just Christmas and Easter, but they will come with you. And maybe they will come and they will hear the gospel in a new way for the first time, and they will hear about the hope that is found in Christ. Verse 5, it says this, For the living will know, excuse me, for the living know that they will die. But the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. He's painting this bleak picture of those who have nothing else to cling to in this life but this life. And he is pointing us, those who is call ourselves followers of Jesus, he is pointing at the stark reality that for those who are not in Christ, that's all they have. And that that for sure will die. That that will come to an end for sure. Warren Wearsby says this, and I, I kind of quoted it earlier. Death is not an accident, it is an appointment. It's a destiny that nobody but God can cancel or change. Warren Wearsby wrote a book on Ecclesiastes called Be Satisfied. Kind of taking the lens of Solomon and looking through the one person who had the most stuff in life. And what he comes to is that it's all futile and there's nothing but God. And then he says this, that death is not an accident, it's an appointment. That nobody but God can cancel or change. Here's two verses for you. Hebrews 9 says this, it is just as it is appointed for man to die once, and then after that comes judgment. Another one for you is this, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that word can be translated proclaiming too, same word. And so don't think preaching. Don't think somebody with a microphone on a stage or somebody standing on a street corner. Proclaiming is a better way to say that. As we look at this Christmas seasons, there's those, those songs like Hark the Herald Angels Sings. That word herald, that, that word proclamation, proclaiming. What Paul in the book of Romans is saying is, how will they call on Jesus if they've never heard? And how are they going to hear if you don't tell them? If you don't invite them? If you don't show them? How are they going to know? How will they know unless the gospel is told to them? And so he's painted this picture. Listen, all of us will die. All of us will endure hardship. Some of us have a living hope that is eternal, and some have no hope. And the only hope they find is taking gains and grounds in this life. But that will perish. And so Solomon has set this thing up. And again, understand that Solomon is one of the most rich and powerful men ever. And he lays this before us and says, rich, powerful, kingdom, fame, 
It's nothing. In fact, when he achieved it, he was empty. What if we took this season where folks are open to coming to church, where folks are open to talking about Jesus? It's literally the celebration of Christ. That's why we call it Christmas, right? It's literally that Jesus entered into human history to reconcile a broken and flawed and failed humanity, reconcile them to a holy and loving God. The reason the sun rises and sets on the just and the unjust alike is because God is good and loving. And God wants that, sh- that sun to shine on everyone. That the rain would fall and grow crops for everyone. That God would show common grace to all so that we can point to a genuinely loving God. That we would point to a God who loves the lost. That we would be able to see that in the end they have no hope and they will be separated from God forever. And that we will live on, but we have this life, we have this moment in time where we can join with God in showing the goodness and the grace of God to everyone around us. And that we can, we can pause in these seasons where everybody is so worried about what they have to buy or what they hope to receive or where they need to be or where they have to go or who they have coming over. We just press pause for a minute in this season and remember that it's about Jesus and remind others that there is a Jesus who loves them. That there is a Jesus who loves them so much that he stood up off his throne in heaven to enter into human history. That he would put on flesh and live this life. That he would suffer like we suffer. That he would mourn like we mourn. That he would go hungry at times. That he would be tired. That he would feel lonely. That he would be betrayed. That he would endure this life instead of remaining on a throne he deserves. If we would just point them to this Jesus. This Jesus who is, we will go on to see in Good Friday and Easter as we do each year. or Really here every Sunday, this Jesus who lived for them, this Jesus who died for them, and this Jesus who was alive and ascended to heaven who is King and Lord and Savior for them. That we would allow this season to be that for us. That gives us this place to find joy in the midst of chaos sometimes. That gives us a place to find joy in relationships that are challenging for us with bosses that don't treat us very well, or coworkers that don't believe the same things, or family members, or neighbors, or whatever it might be, students you go to school with, that we would use this season, we would always do this, but we would be reminded that this season is so important. So now as he kind of begins to go back to the believers, go back to those who are followers of God, he begins to kind of apply some of that. Verse 70 says, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. It's that last part I want to look at. We're going to go backwards. He says, for God has already approved what you do. See, there are people, really, within, even within Christianity that are so paralyzed by this life. Like that they're afraid we're going to make this mistake or that mistake. And just everywhere they turn, it's like, I hope I don't do something wrong and God all of a sudden doesn't love me. They're afraid that their, their salvation is so tenuous that it can be broken up or disrupted. And I love that Solomon, even before Christ had come, says this. He says, listen, as a follower, as one of God's own son or daughter, God has already approved what you do. That in the gospel, that we stand in Christ, that as we look to God in Christ, that not, it, it isn't because we're so good or because we can do no wrong. It's because Christ has covered our sin. That wherever we fall short, Christ makes up the gap. 
In fact, I would say, wherever we are, we have nothing to contribute. And Christ fills the gap. And so when God looks at us, he sees the perfection of Christ on us. Not that we don't fall short, but that Christ never falls short. And so he says, listen, God has already approved what you do. You don't have to worry. Just live for Jesus. Let me back up and read the first part of that verse to you. He says, go and eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Here's what he's saying. So how do we live as believers? How do we continue to live in light of the fact that there is a world out there that doesn't know Jesus and that we are in this world still to love on those so that they might see Jesus? How are we to go about this and how are we to find joy in our lives when not everything goes well? And he says, we're just like... Eat your bread and, and drink your wine. Be, be mer- like Enjoy what God has given you. The Jewish meal at the end of the day is unlike most of us, where a lot of people, I know those who are into nutrition and fitness would immediately say it's not what they do necessarily, but most of us, our meals build till the end of the day. And the end of the day is that big dinner meal that is our biggest meal of the day. In Jewish culture, it wasn't like that. This last meal might be after a long, hard day out in the fields of farming or ranching or doing whatever they might do or business in town, whatever it is they were doing. And everybody gathers back in this big familial home. And they would sit down at the end of the day, primarily it's just bread and wine. It was this smaller meal before they went to bed. They'd already eaten at work or eaten where they'd been out. They'd done their thing and they were coming back in. And really what it was was circling up with family. Again, this is before electricity and, and all the things that we do today. And they would sit around oftentimes candlelit, and they would have this final meal, this bread and this wine at the end of the day. And what Solomon is saying here is just, just enjoy the little things that God has given you and your family. That you would walk through this life, you're going to have highs and lows, but find this time. God has already approved of what you do. Enjoy what God has given you. He'll go on, he says this, let your garments always be white, let not oil be lacking on your head. This was This is really kind of more of a festive thing. I know when we hear white garments, we think New Testament, like righteousness and Christ. We think all these things. If you're kind of a Bible nerd like me, that's the first thing that comes up, right? And he was really talking about like holiday stuff. Like that you would put on your best and you would anoint, their family would be anointed. They would smell good. They would look good. And he's really talking about festivals and, and, and holidays, things like that. Today, he might talk about something, your Christmas outfits, and that your home would smell like baked goods that are super fattening, like cheesecake. You know who you are. I'm just saying. So uh, that you would be able to jo- enjoy these larger gatherings, that you would be able to take these seasons that are, that are celebrations, that are times of sharing with others, that you would take that no matter where you are in your life, that you would be able to celebrate with others, that you would be able to put on something nice and smell good, college students, men especially, right? Smell good and let your family enjoy you, right? He's saying go enjoy that. At your Christmas gathering, I know maybe your life's got some bumps in it, or maybe it's just in the tank right now, but go. Enjoy your family. Enjoy the little things. Enjoy the holidays. Enjoy the gatherings. Go. Because you're already approved of in Christ. So go. Go be with those others who don't follow Jesus. Go be a light to the lost. Even in the midst of your pain and your struggle, be that for those who don't know him. Enjoy this Christmas. For those of you that are note takers, 
Everything in life doesn't have to be perfect for you to have joy in Christmas. Eternity is already set in place. You're already approved of in Christ. What is wrong will be made right because Jesus has already come. Go be. Go be in that family gathering. Go be in that work setting. You don't have to be perfect. God's already approved of you. And nobody thinks you're perfect anyhow. Right? You don't have to be perfect at your work gathering for them to see Jesus. In fact, I would give you this. The more imperfect and honest and transparent you are about that, the better they see Jesus. The more they will see Christ in you. I know most of you just think I am absolutely perfect and make no mistakes. You even laugh. You're like, yeah, no, really, really far away from that. Right? If God can use me, he can use you, right? Verse 9, he says this. Enjoy a life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life. And in your toil, at which you toil under the sun. He's obviously speaking to men at this point. Women, flip it. You can understand this, right? Young people who are single, maybe someday that's you. Maybe right now you're just looking at your family and your parents. Maybe you've, maybe you've gone on in life and you're in that older age where you've, you've, you had a long marriage and you, you're already, you're widow or widowered. Whoever that is, God is saying, I give you, even in this vain life, in this life that every, every life is going to end in death, he says, even in that, I just want you to enjoy the love of another person that I've given you. Obviously, that primary relationship is between a man and a wife. That you would enjoy being in love. That that would become a family should God choose to give you children. That you would enjoy those things that, yes, we all will still die. Yes, we'll all go through highs and lows, but enjoy the one with whom God has given you. Proverbs says to love the wife of your youth. To cherish that woman God gave you as a younger man or that man God gave you as a younger woman. Your family. Marriage and family are often center points of Christmas. God has given you that family for your joy. If your family is not here, not what it should be, God has given you the church family as well. Find joy in those that God has given you. God bless you. I got to say this is a little off topic. This is just free for the moment. I've learned some incredible things from some guys who have gone on and outlived their wives. Those who have lost their wife and just said, you know what? I had an amazing marriage, and, and, and those guys just said, I don't want another relationship. Like, I had a great relationship. And listening to men who have outlived them, and listening to women also who have outlived their husbands, which is obviously more common, but just that story of how fulfilling something was that they don't want to try and replace it. Those things have touched me so deeply that when I hear these verses, I can't stop thinking, those of you who have been around a long time, of Will Kudik. And just that story of a man who loved a wife for so long that just everything in him was fulfilled. And that he lived almost two decades beyond her. That was just what hit my heart for this. Verse 10, it says this, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in shale. Shale is another word for death to which you are going. He reminds us again, whatever you do, do it with all your might. Enjoy what you do because eventually it won't be. 
And he reminds us this life is temporary. Colossians says it this way. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It's been a challenge throughout my life, whether in ministry or, or out in secular vocations, whatever, that everything I do in my job, it's not for the person I work for, even when I've owned businesses, it's not for the, the customers that I, my life is really lived out for God, whether it's business or family or pleasure, whatever it is. That we should work as if we're working for Jesus. Literally, we should give our best. That when we do that, we should treat people appropriately. That we should treat customers, if we have a, a service or a business, that we should treat them in such a way that they can see Christ in our business practices. If we manage people or if we're managed by people, however that looks, that in our setting we would look enough like Jesus that they would know. Joy at work. You can find joy in the work that God has given you, even if you don't enjoy your job. Often God will use you in your workplace as a missionary for him. Let that be a motivator to work with a joyful heart. I'm going to close with this. It says this, verse 11. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. So it's a repeated phrase, all that happens underneath the sun. In other words, all of life. He says, again, I saw under the sun a race, that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor, favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know this time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. He says it doesn't always mean that the smartest guy in the room has the best job. It doesn't always mean that the hardest working gets the best thing. He says, chance happens to us all. And that is not a reason, if you're in here and you're a student, that is not a reason to do anything less than get a great education. Especially for those of you that, are, that your parents are doing that with you, like honor that. Take advantage of that. Yes, more oftentimes than not, education pays off. But what Solomon is saying is it's not always, the race isn't always won by the fastest runner. That life isn't always capitalized on by the best people. Sometimes life just deals you life. But you are in that life in Christ. That you can take that life and you can live it out in such a way that others see Jesus through you. So joy in Christ. Having joy that is found in Christ is about knowing that God has rescued you from death, given you a purpose on earth to show Jesus to others, and enjoying the life that God has given you to live. Wherever you are this Christmas season, whatever stage of life you're in, good, bad, somewhere in the middle, younger, older, wherever you are, know that when God sees you in Christ, you're approved of. And that death has been satisfied. And that this life, though it often is in vain, is not the last thing we do. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you because you entered into our story. And so, Jesus, our prayer is that you would make us a part of your story. That you would give us that ability to love, live for you, love others. That we would be a light into a dark world. God, I pray for those right now that are enduring the loss of a loved one this season. I've been there. I, I know how that goes. I know that that can really hinder our hearts. I pray for those who are working through illness, 
suffering and struggling, Lord, as I, again, I get to see that often. And I know how that can pull us back. Lord, for those whose workplaces or families or neighborhoods or schools or whatever it might be, their, their social setting is not what they want it to be. I pray that they would see you in it. That they would love the simple things that you have blessed them with. That they would love the relationships you've given them. I pray for marriages right now. That men would learn to love the wife of their youth. And that wives, they would, they would love their husbands like the church loves you, Jesus. Let us be the fulfillment of you here on earth that others might see you. Let us take seriously that you have given us an opportunity to make you famous in our community. Jesus, it's never going to be about Generations Church. It'll always be about you. You must be made famous for this thing to be right. So may we hold you up high as we worship, as we pray, as we do any, all as we respond. And then send us out like missionaries to a mission field in our, right, in our own neighborhood, to our own families, to our own schools. And let us bring glory and honor to you, Lord. Amen. <laughs>